the backyard is bone dry. The grass is completely yellow and the only patches of green I see here is actually weeds. And I've tried to remove a lot of those weeds over the past week and a half, painstakingly <laughs> trying to remove especially all the dandelions. I think that's the word for it. They have very deep roots, so I bought a special weed puller to, uh, to pull them out with the roots. Uh, otherwise, they will just grow back next year. Um, and now we're just waiting for the rain. And we're going to have some because this is, um, I don't know, day seven or eight of a, of a scorching heat wave that we've been suffering. But that is about to end in um, an hour or two hours from now because the weather forecast, let me pass through the hedge here and then I'll head to, for the woods where it's hopefully a little bit cooler. Um, the weather forecast has predicted severe thunderstorms later today with hail um, and uh, very fast wind speeds and lots and lots and lots of rain. Now, of course, <laughs> I like rain, but if it all comes in a very short time span, then there are bound to be issues. Uh, because the the ground is just not able to absorb everything so here's hoping that we won't get any water problems in and around the church and especially not in and around the rectory where i live it's always a bit tricky i know that uh on the back of the house part of the the pipes that should uh help the water flow down to the ground are broken and so I don't know what's going to happen when uh, all hell will break loose. And it will break loose. This is one of the reasons that I'm going out for a walk now. Because I know that in a few hours from now, it will be far too dangerous to be outside. I'm counting on debranching all my electrical uh, gear, computers and chargers and televisions. Um, of course, there's always a chance that... Uh, lightning will strike uh, and that can totally destroy everything um, so better safe than sorry um, thankfully right now it's still relatively calm I can tell that the sky is changing it was blue um, but now we you have these weird cotton shaped fluffy clouds that are gathering but the patterns are a, a bit strange. It looks a bit ominous. And uh, you can tell that there's a huge amount of humidity in the air. Which only needs like uh, a bit of a catalyst moment. And then it will all start to fall down. So uh, I hope that I can find some shade in the woods. Because even... After a few minutes, I already feel the sun burning in my neck and on my arms. I didn't put any sunscreen on. Maybe that was a mistake. Because it's so hot, oftentimes when I'm at home, I'm just walking around in shorts, sandals. I'm actually now just wearing sandals, not closed shoes. It's too hot. And instead of 
uh, wearing my clerical clothes with the Roman color and everything. I am just wearing one of my running shirts. Um, they are extremely breathe made from very breathable materials, so you don't uh, sweat in them. At least I don't. And uh, sometimes people, when they see streams or photos of me, they wonder if I ever wear anything else but those, you know, black clerical vestments. And I usually say, well, I make an exception <laughs> when I. Uh, when I'm in bed, uh, I have pajamas and they are um, blue. <laughs> and that's about it. But um, I think that um, I should add an extra exemption to that. And that is when the temperature is in the, three, in the triple digits, as they say in the United States. So uh, like above 30 degrees Celsius, like it is right now, um, approaching 100 degrees Fahrenheit then yeah, it is time to change clothes. <laughs> so yesterday evening, um, at around, what was it, 9.30, I had uh, been working for most of the day, uh, and then I made some dinner, and I was just tired and warm, so I, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to take off my clothes. I walked around basically in my underwear <laughs> so I do have black underwear in case you're a visual thinker so it was very chaste but nevertheless I was walking barefoot in my house who cares it's uh, late in the evening I was about to go to bed when all of a sudden um, someone rings my doorbell I'm thinking what the what who is this at this time I don't have an appointment and uh, my initial reaction was well, I was about to sit down and, and play a video game. So I was like, I, this had better not be something parish related or, you know, I am just not in the mood for, for any contact right now. <laughs> I just want to cool down and slow down before I go to bed. So anyway, I've got the, this, my current front door, which is going to be replaced hopefully in the, ne in the next couple of months has this little window in the center of the door. And so you can open that and talk to the person outside. But it also allows me to see who is standing there. I, I also have a Google doorbell that normally with the camera should allow me to do that. But it's always a bit of a hassle to uh, launch the app and then wait for the camera to connect. That takes sometimes half a minute before you see who is waiting there. So it's sometimes much easier to go for the analog solution. So I open that little window and I immediately see this tall guy standing there with a lot of gray hair. And I know it's Father Henry. <laughs> and I was like, what? What are you doing here? And apparently he had been touring around for two days. He has been. So he doesn't live here anymore. He used to be the pastor of this parish in case you're one of my newer listeners. And uh, we're good friends. We have been ordained priests together. We've uh, um, also studied together for about five years. And so, and every year um, uh, with two other friends, uh, two other priests that we met in Rome, we always form a group of four and we go on vacation together. So, um, but since then he's been um, moved to another parish. Uh, and so I didn't expect him at all to be in the neighborhood. 
Um, but he's the kind of guy who always, you know, when he, whenever he stops by, he's just, he doesn't call. He knows that um, in, in, with me it's always a bit futile to use the telephone because I'm, despite the fact that I'm kind of old, I definitely am more of like the opinion of, of the modern generations that think, you know, why should a phone be used for phone calls? That is why you can send a text message. <laughs> so, so when I get a phone call, it's oftentimes Father Henry and it goes straight to voicemail. Not because I don't like to talk to Father Henry. It's just because I don't like to take any phone calls. <laughs> so instead, he just, whenever he stops by, he rings and sees if, I, if I'm home. And sometimes I, sometimes I am. But so I'm standing there in my door opening in my shorts and my uh, pajama t-shirt barefoot. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm in the neighborhood and just wanted to stay, say, uh, say hi. And so I invited him in and we sat in the backyard um, and just, you know, caught up on things. It's been a while since we talked. And of course, I was curious to hear how he was faring in his new parish and he wanted to uh, to know how I, how I was doing. So it was nice. It was a long conversation, though. It ended uh, towards 11 o'clock in the evening. That is way past my bedtime, especially in the summer when it's hot. I, I tend to go to bed around 10 and wake up a bit earlier or just have a bit more margin to to try to get between 7 and 8 hours of sleep because of the heat. Um, I often wake up during the night and then I have to drink something and I'm just dehydrated and warm and it takes a while to go back to sleep so I like to have a bit more extra sleep margin but that uh, I, I've sacrificed that to uh, um, to have a, a few hours to talk with Father Henry. Now the reason I bring this up is that we were looking back on the past what is it six months now that he's been gone um, and a lot has happened for the both of us. For him, of course, the changes have been much bigger than for me. But even in my situation, um, after Father Henry left, we got the notice that the, the diocese would uh, appoint a new priest, Father Mauricio, in our parish, who is a missionary from, from Colombia. And uh, he and I have worked together in the same parish before I moved here. So I was super excited. He's a really great guy, very um, uh, dynamic and kind and spiritual. Uh, just a really, really great priest. But he fell ill very quickly after um, his first mass in the parish and he was still recovering. He had a intestinal issue and had to be, had to undergo um, like emergency surgery, uh, like the week after he was appointed here. And then that didn't really solve the problem, so he had to undergo much more serious surgery a number of weeks later. And he was still recovering from that. It created a lot of pain for him. It wasn't cancer, but it was a, um, something in his intestines that had to be uh, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know the details. But anyway, suffice to say that there was a very good chance that surgery would fix the problem. Um, but unfortunately, there was still a complication. And just a few days ago, 
he sent me a message that asking if I could uh, replace him for mass on Sunday because he had to undergo another surgery, which of course is a is a is a, a huge setback. This time it wasn't as um, complicated as the last time, so hopefully um, his uh, process of recovery won't be be delayed too much after this but still I have to go back to the hospital getting you know we have to undergo all the procedures again and then for for weeks he won't be able to do much uh, because of the he has to recover and the wound has to heal so Father Henry had before he came to me had earlier that day visited Father Mauricio and talked with him and they exchanged um, some information because, of course, for for Father Mauricio, it's really um, interesting to to hear uh, Father Henry's take on the parish and on the locations and on certain people because uh, for Mauricio, everything is new. So uh, today, earlier today, he has had the surgery and I haven't heard back yet, but I hope that everything went well. And, and, and with Father Henry, we were talking about, you know, how much of this is just bad luck? Or how much of this is something that we play a role in, that we have chosen ourselves? And how much of this is maybe God's plan, providence? Which, you know, as priests, you would think that we were both inclined to always look at things straight from the perspective of this is all part of a bigger plan and we should just trust it and it's all going to be, you know, God always, um, how do you say that there's this phrase, um, I know it in French because I love it so much in the French language, it's tout concours au bien de ceux qui aiment Dieu. So everything will ultimately turn out well for those who love God. And I've always lived by that, by that, um, by that phrase. You know, even if at times in life you start to doubt, is this still part of God's plan, or is is this just fate, or is there even a plan? Um, in the end, looking back, you often realize that yes, actually something good came out of this, even though that the the actual circumstances at first were maybe not exactly what God wanted. Maybe sometimes God just allows things to happen, even bad things, without intervening, <laughs> because ultimately He knows that it's it's going to be for the greater good, and also maybe for the for the smaller good, for the personal good. But how do you discern that? How do you know if what happens to you is bad luck, coincidence, or it's something? It's it's the result of something you did or a choice that wrong choices that you made or lack of discernment. How much of it is like a almost a direct will of God who who uh, who steers ev- events in a certain direction, and how much of it is repair work where God turns something bad into something good and and the, it matters i think to ask that question because it will prevent us from being too quick in thinking that we know what god wants or that we understand god god's plans that is it's a very common 
um, temptation, I think, or, or maybe it's just a habit of people that believe in God to think that, you know, yeah, this must be God's will because it, it, it turns out to be so good for me. And then when something bad happens, we're, we're quickly to blame others or ourselves or, you know, this can't be part of God's plan. Or what did I do wrong? And even in the Bible, you find these examples of people um, asking Jesus for advice. You know, this person who died or had this bad thing happen to him or her, is it, is it, is it, is it God's will? Is it because of his parents? Did he do something wrong? Is it a, a result of sins? And Jesus is, is very clear about that. It's not because of um, of of what a person did wrong or what uh, his parents might have done wrong or something like that, which is a, a very common way of of kind of rethinking. What's my watch telling me? It's making all these lovely sounds. Oh, oh, he knows that I'm walking. I forgot to turn on my my activity. I heard it before as well all right oh good thankfully it has been that's cool about the apple watch so it will see that i'm moving around it asks me hey do you want me to track this the first time i ignored it because i always turn on the tracking when i go outside okay exercise ring closed that's good but in this case the apple watch probably just started started uh tracking me the moment uh, it noticed that I was moving, even though I hadn't told it that I was actually going for a walk. I'm glad, because I'm always trying to close my rings, my exercise rings, and move rings, and there's a third ring. Oh, it's still like how, many, how often you stand during the day. And I've been on a streak for a month and a half right now. And because we get this thunderstorm in, in a few hours from now, I was not planning on joining um, the runner's training tonight. Actually, I, I don't think it would be prudent to do any running training because it's going to be right at the time when the thunderstorm will be, according to prognostics, the, the worst. So it might be actually very dangerous to be outside around that time. But I still want to close my exercise rings. And so, thankfully, my watch is like, um, yeah, do you want me to... Uh, to add this to your to your uh, total count when it comes to steps and everything. Thank you, Apple Watch. <laughs> uh, where was I? I was talking about uh, why it matters that you should ask yourself the question, is this bad luck? Is this because of something I did? Is it because something God wants? Or is this God basically repairing a situation that is, that is wrong? Um, and so, with, uh, with Father Henry, he's now in a, in a totally different parish. He used to run this huge parish, which at the time when he was appointed here, it's hard to imagine, but I think there were 15 parish communities. Um, and they were like individual parishes. And each had their own church, or its own church. And so he oversaw, during the first years of his appointment here, the merger of all these different parish communities into one big parish. And after that, he had to 
um, start to close a number of these churches because those communities just didn't have um, the the power and the numbers anymore to keep them afloat. And so, if only for financial reasons, but also for pastoral reasons, because with one priest, of course, serving 15 church communities, that is an almost impossible job. Um, they have closed a number of churches, and that is a process that will continue. Just uh, two weeks ago, the uh, Cardinal Ike, our, our bishop, finally uh, signed the mandate, or whatever it is called. Um, I'm not... Uh, very good at church law, but um, gave permission for for the Church of Rainen to be closed, which is actually not a very old church. It was built right after the Second World War. As you know, there's been this um, big battle here uh, in and around uh, Wageningen and here in the in the hills. And after the war, um, the Catholics in in Rainen, which is close to the river. Um, wanted to create a memorial and they wanted to have a church and so they decided to build a church that was both a memorial for the victims of the uh, or the fallen soldiers uh, during second world war the those that died to liberate the netherlands and uh, also to be a church and uh, the the thing is it it, it was a it already at the time it was a small community in, in, a, in a predominantly Protestant town. And the age has just gone up and up and up and there's no renewal because young people don't stay there in that town. They move elsewhere. So it's not the fault of anyone uh, that that church will have to close. Uh, but it's still happening. And, you know, honestly, I think that we will see more of, the, of our churches that ultimately will have to close or, or downsize in one way or another. And so, Father Henry first told he told me that when he was first appointed here, he just didn't know what to do. It's like this is so overwhelming. There's just where do I begin? <laughs> how is this gonna How is this gonna end? And then, of course, all these parishes—they all had their own expectations and even claims. And and Father Henry himself had also his ideas and. Um, you know, he was in his 40s, so he had the energy to really build up the parish. And so he worked really, really hard. In my opinion, he worked way too hard because I've lived with him for about eight months. And so I've seen his day-to-day -day routine. And oftentimes I, I just felt sorry for him because he was just constantly working every day of the week, never taking a break, oftentimes not even taking time to eat. There would be days that he would only have breakfast and he would just be in meetings and pastoral encounters and masses for until until late at night. And then even sometimes past midnight, he would still be working and answering email. And, and sometimes I just had to cook for him and just tell him, you're coming down to eat because I was worried. He was just totally neglecting his health. Um, but... With all that work that he's done for 15 years, he has uh, left a, a tremendous legacy here. And the parishes are really doing well, relatively, especially compared to the rest of the diocese. And I have to say that wherever I go, it's a pleasure to, to visit these locations. What are you telling me, lady? 
Oh, then I walked another kilometer. You don't have to tell me that. <laughs> I can feel that in my legs. Um, so he left uh, quite the, the legacy and the harvest for, uh, for others to, to collect. Um, and I told him that. I said, it's, it's just um, everybody misses you. Not because you work so hard, but just because of what you have meant to the people here and how much you had an impact on their lives and on their faith. Um, and, and then he said, well, this is why I feel that I, I, God was, was telling me to go and to let go of this parish. Uh, whereas when I first arrived here, he was very clear that he wouldn't accept another nomination, that he would fight it. And, and he has the right, according to canon law, to fight a nomination because he's the pastor. And canon law uh, provi- or protects the, the, the pastor and his flock. So it's not good in general for pastors to be there for a very short time because of all the relationships that you build and also the trust that is involved in pastoral work. And so canon law says that, well, if you're just a parochial vicar, then the bishop can, can move you around. But if someone is appointed a pastor, then even if the bishop wants to move someone, he cannot force the priest to do that. And... Uh, and at the time, Father Henry was certain, this is my place, this is where God wants me to be. And now, uh, a year and a half later, or well, yeah, a year and a half before, after he told me that, he now is, has changed his opinion. He's like, well, I, I think it, God wanted me to go. And when, now that I see how Father Mauricio, uh, how, what his attitude is towards the parish, his plans when I hear him talk about this parish, I think it's good. It's going to be good. He's he's a, he's a great priest, and uh, and my work was finished here. That's what he felt. It's like I've I, there's not much more that that I can give. And he also says that it was providence that you, Father Roderick, were was moving here because it was at the time when a number of other priests that were assisting us were helping us. Um, were getting too old and they stepped away and it, right at that moment you you all of a sudden called me out of the, out of the out of the blue and told me that uh, you were looking for a place to live and then the way you got the house and everything he said it was just all providence it was i couldn't have planned this and it just came together so so well and i i had to uh, affirm that hello <laughs> we've got two Dags hunts, or how do you call them? Yeah, those little sausages with uh, <laughs> with a tail and and four legs, and and one bigger dog that is wagging its tail because he has found two two wiener dogs. Is that how you call them? <laughs> to play with. They always make me laugh. These dogs. Anyway, so um, me too. I said. In a, to a certain extent, looking back at everything that happened, I can't imagine a better place to land than here. Um, the thing is, it, when all that happened, I was convinced that it wasn't God's will what happened, and I felt hurt. And um, 
almost expelled from my previous parish and very, you know, not respected and forced into a situation that I absolutely was certain that couldn't be God's will. And here I am a year later and or more than a year later. And I think, you know, this is this is the best place that I could have landed. And I, I'm so happy to be here, to to live here so close to nature, to be able to go for these walks in the woods and and just enjoy nature and it's I've I've met so many new people that was one of the things that I feared the most is I'm going to lose my entire social tissue my all my friends live in and around Amersfoort and I'm going to lose them all and I have to start anew and that's not one of my fortes to to build connections um and yet I I have way more friends and I've got way more social contacts here than I ever had in my previous parish. So in hindsight, yeah, I, I can say that this, is, this probably was um, God's will. And maybe what happened, the way it happened, wasn't, wasn't what, what God wanted. But he knew that it was going to turn out well. And it's now in hindsight that I can say, hey, hmm... Yeah, I think I think this was part of of God's providential will and I'm I'm very grateful for that. There there's nothing in this that I planned myself. If it had been up to me, I would still be in my previous parish and I would have just gone on to do what I did. And yet uh in in 2 years time everything in my life changed. And I can only now I can say, well, you know what? It changed a lot of it changed for the better and i have grown so much because of that change and if it hadn't happened i would have stayed the same i would have, wouldn't have learned much and i wouldn't have been challenged to to evolve and to to process and to learn about my emotions and how to deal with uh, with things and and there are so many things that i have discovered because of what those changes triggered in me. And I'm very grateful for that. But then I asked the question to Father Henry, do you believe that where you are now, that is also part of God's plan? And he said, well, I'm still trying to figure that out. I, I, I try to figure out why God wants me to, to serve this new parish. Because it's... It's basically just a few communities. There is one city that only has one church. They've closed all the other churches. And there is only this huge, big church in the center close to the railway station uh, that is in use. And uh, the liturgy there is very, um, very solemn. And it's uh, often used by the diocese for diocesan uh, liturgical celebrations, like for instance the um, the Wednesday during Holy Week, where you have the the blessing of the the chrism. Um, they don't do that in the cathedral in Utrecht because Utrecht, the city of Utrecht is on the western border of the diocese. Um, so the rest of the diocese extends all the way to Germany. So it's much more makes much more sense geographically to do that in Appledorn. And so, you know, as a church, it's a beautiful church. Liturgy is beautiful. Lots of volunteers. Um, there's also a very um, 
well-organized um, uh, communal, how do you say that? Communal, like they take care of the, of the homeless people and of the, the mentally ill. And there's lots of activity there. They have a permanent deacon that coordinates everything. And, and he's connected to um, the Sunday Gidio movement in Italy. And so that's going very well. So for Father Henry, that is a very comfortable situation to step into. There's not much that he has to change. Uh, he has tried to start an, a, mis- a mass in English uh, because the English community or the international community here was so important for Father Henry when he was appointed in this par- parish. But uh, in this new location, there's not much interest for that. So he he is wondering, oh, maybe I should let go of that idea. Maybe I can't repeat what I did in my previous parish. Maybe God wants me to do something else. But then, um, but then what? And then the, the other churches the, are located in a few villages. There, were, there used to be a lot of villages that were all merged into this big parish. But of those, only two or three remain. And the rest is all gone. And those remaining churches are not doing well at all. Father Henry told me that in, in when he celebrates Mass there, it's just a handful of people. And all of them are like 70 years old and older. There's, there are no young people there, no families, no, no children, no young people, no teenagers, no students, nothing. And, and that is hard for, for, for him uh, because he was, that was his motivation here it was that to have this big Wageningen University and to have that international community and of course like me Father Henry has also studied abroad and we've been in Rome and we have our international contacts we love languages um, and none of that it seems to be useful anymore so so is he is that the right the right place for him to be um, and I admire what he said. It's like I'm trying to figure out well, why God put me here. And I think between the lines, he says, um, you know, I, I don't see it yet. I, I just have to trust it. And the same question is on my mind when it comes to uh, what happened to Father Mauricio and what he's going through. You know, I, I, can, I can see that there may be benefits to going through this long process where you have to, where you have to really trust that it will end well and that you know maybe all these expectations um, were not necessarily what God had uh, had planned and, and, and maybe by, by going through this extensive time of being sick and, and receiving treatment and trying to recover and Realizing that despite the fact that he's a generation below me and much younger than I am, um, that doesn't guarantee you that you're always going to be healthy. Um, We don't control things like that. And so letting go of that and surrender yourself to the circumstances is... I I can see that that on a spiritual level could become very beneficial and produce fruits. But that's easy for me to say because I'm not in that situation. For 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 the Mauricio, it's super tough right now. So 
So what is, what is the will of God in that? Did God really want him to get sick like that? And to have this, you know, this third operation, this third, this third surgery, and then being still constantly not being able to really start as a pastor of this parish. Is that, is that God's will? Or is that just bad luck? Or to what extent is God involved in all this? And that really matters, I think, to ask yourself. And I've, I've learned um, from my own, my own uh, work as a priest, as a pastor, and also from reading, that you have to be very careful by labeling too quickly that something is God speaking to you or telling you something or arranging things or because again who are we to know what God's plan is especially in in advance that is very uh, presumptuous to say well I think this is absolutely look at how well my life is going this must be God's will but are you certain that that will last? And what will you say when all of a sudden everything changes and you lose everything you thought you had? <laughs> and it's going to be much harder to say, oh, I think this is all what God wants. I, I rebelled against that multiple times during my life as a priest. Also in, in my early years when I got overworked and I felt so terrible and for half a year I was, I was so sick and couldn't do anything and you know at, in those moments I I remember praying with indignation like God really I give my life to you I give my life to the church and all this stuff happens and I'm all alone and nobody takes care of me and this is not what I planned this is not what I wanted this cannot be what you wanted and yet in hindsight uh and I've shared this in, um, in, in the book that I wrote years ago, Geek Priest. I, I say, well, in hindsight, I, I, it has been such a game changer and it taught me so much. It was, I was miserable, but I wouldn't, have missed, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have wanted to miss it because it's been such an incredible learning uh, opportunity. But that can also just be the fruit of me adopting another mindset. Um, so what, how something, even what you would qualify as bad, you know, bad luck or bad health or whatever. <laughs> this dog is just waiting to be entertained by its owner. <laughs> Running behind a stick. Um, the, the it is possible to change the impact of even b- relatively bad stuff that happens to you by reframing it by changing your mindset but then that's something that you do right you're reinterpreting the events and you are labeling them in a different way that's how our brains can work our brain is incredibly powerful and coming up with a narrative that can change the way we experience things. Even, well, what I mentioned last week. Um, 
this whole um, exposure to cold method that I'm currently trying out with cold showers um, and, and breathing um, exercises, I've noticed that it is, it is changing uh, certain aspects. It is just even physically, when I take like this morning, for instance, I didn't even turn on the warm water anymore, which is something I did in the first week. I, I started with a bit of cold and then I let it, the warm water flow uh, through the, the faucet. And then for the last minute, I turned back to cold. This morning, I just stayed under the cold shower for three minutes. And I felt amazing. <laughs> I really felt... It was even on a physical level, I noticed that I... That everything was so sharp and so clear. It was almost as if my eyes were functioning better. It, I, it's hard to describe. But when I look ahead of me right now and I look at the leaves uh, you know especially with further in the distance um, it all becomes a little bit blurry and out of focus and I in, in the morning I always have that my, my eyesight is a little bit blurry and then after stepping out of the shower it, I see everything in focus it's so crystal clear and I, it was so such a difference that I I, I I couldn't help but thinking this must be because of that cold shower maybe it is because even the muscle of course your your focusing ability that's that's controlled by muscles by tiny muscles in your eyes in your eyeballs or around your eye or i don't know how that works but (laughs) anyway so what if that those muscles are also uh, because I, i put my head under the cold shower so you know my eyes also are cooled down so maybe that is good for the muscles in my eyes maybe that does actually at least temporarily improve my eyesight a little bit i don't know but anyway all of that is of course has nothing to do with faith or it's something that i want to do and it it helps me to adopt a certain mindset and to create a certain discipline um and also to I, i learn to just accept the cold Whereas in the first few days when I first tried that out, I was fighting it. I was like, my body physically was fighting it by shivering. And shivering is, of course, a way for your body to heat up, to heat itself up. And so I noticed that that is no longer necessary. I just step under the shower. I don't even like the the will of stepping into a cold shower. Um, used to be challenging. And now I'm just... Uh, Everybody's on the phone around me. That's why you hear people talking to themselves. Um, but uh, even, even the, this this whole decision, like I'm going to step into this cold water. In the first week, it was hard. And now I'm just doing it. I don't even think about it. It's like I, I'm only looking forward to the benefits after having done that. Because I feel super uh, invigorated after that. And, and, and that's what I... I step out of the shower with a smile. But anyway, all that to say, there's a lot that you can do with your just your mind. Uh, looking differently at things, uh, even teaching yourself to experience stressors like the cold in a different way and use it to your benefit instead of to your detriment. To which extent is that something that we also do when we attribute things to God 
where you say, well, this, this obviously is God's will because I like it. Isn't that a little bit too fast? And it, maybe to a certain degree, I am just creating a new narrative, which is, happens in the prefrontal cortex, as you know, which is, that usually creates sense out of things that may actually not be that related. It's the, it's the power. I'm looking up to the sky right now, and you can see, you can see the, the thunder clouds gathering. And the sun is still there, but underneath it, I can see these dark gray clouds and they're developing these heads, you know, they, they grow like mushrooms, and this is usually a bad sign. But when I look at that one cloud on the left of the sun, it looks like England. It's the shape of the UK. And of course it's not. It's just, you know, it's vapor. It's water. It's, there's no form. There's nothing that molded it. But my brain is doing pattern recognition. And it's like, hey, that looks exactly like the shape of England. Wow, that's a cloud that looks like England. <laughs> That is, that is the power. But we also do that in causality. Uh, when, we, um, when we sometimes, um, in a way... Well, for instance, if you have to tell people about your vacation, um, the boring way to, make, to tell what happened is, well, on day one we did this and this, and day two we did this and this. Um, but oftentimes we make it a little bit more exciting. We're like, oh, there was this one city that I always wanted to see. And the first day we couldn't go there because it was too far. And the second day we had a problem with the car. But the third day we finally went to that city. And oh my goodness, you would not believe how much surprised I was. That it was totally different from what I ever expected it to be because so and so. And then we met this person and all of a sudden we got in this museum for free. And unbelievable what an amazing day this is why i love going on vacation because it's always so you see what i'm doing here like i'm I'm creating that didn't even happen but i'm creating a narrative where i connect these things and i'm i put them in a certain order so that it makes sense and so that it evokes an emotion and we all we always do that even in what i just mentioned earlier in the biblical stories where people are trying to deal with with uh, bad stuff that happens, they present a narrative to Jesus. Well, this must be because his parents did something wrong, or he himself is a sinner, right? Right? Because that's the narrative that people were used to tell each other. It's, it's something you see over and over in the Bible when bad stuff happens. Even if it's natural, we would label it as natural causes, like a, a flood, you know, or... Or uh, um, lightning striking, <laughs> or uh, even losing a war. Very often, in the way that those events are are described, it's not. It's never meant to be written down as an account, as a like a journalistic account. Uh, the Bible is storytelling in its core. Everything is. That is why. If you look at, at events that are described in the Old Testament, and even some in the New Testament, you will realize that a lot of that stuff didn't happen in the way that it is written down. It's oftentimes a, a reinterpretation uh, of sometimes already an existing interpretation of what happened maybe centuries before that. 
Sometimes people are merged, like various kings will become one king. You know, the figure of Moses. We're all so familiar with that story. There's actually not much historical certainty that that particular Moses existed. Maybe they, there have been very... This may shock you, coming from a priest, but this is just what biblical scholars tell us and what historians tell us. It's different, by the way, with Jesus. There is, uh, you can find a lot of uh, um, stuff online, especially now on social media, um, where you know, everybody's an expert on TikTok. And so you get these videos where people say, oh, there's no proof at all that Jesus existed. In fact, he's just probably a fa- fabrication. Well, actually, no. They're, from uh, the point of view of historians, and they are pretty darn sure that Jesus, as an historical figure, has existed. Um, there are too many sources that independently confirm his existence. And, um, and we know that a lot of the places mentioned in the te- New Testament are verifiable. Events are verifiable. Does it mean that everything happens the way it's written down in the Gospels? No, because those Gospels will sometimes tell the same event from a different perspective. Perspective. And details change, and even locations change sometimes. Does it mean that they were just making it up? No. It's a negotiation with what happened. They add meaning to it because that is the way we are wired. We are supposed to find meaning in seemingly unrelated things. And so, how do you get out of that conundrum Because maybe the same thing is happening in my life where I am attributing things to God's will and to his providence, whereas in fact, it's just bad luck, you know, it's just coincidence. Or maybe I didn't even know why things happened. You know, why why do do bishops sometimes move priests? It may also just be because of very mundane reasons. They just needed to solve a problem. And they were just looking, so who's been in one parish the longest? And, oh, we'll just move him. And I've, I've been in situations in the past where something was presented to me as, well, this is the will of the bishop. So, and in my thinking as a seminarian, like, so that must be the will of God, right? A bishop is, has been consecrated and ordained, and uh, the Holy Spirit, he will probably have uh, much more of a grip on what the Holy Spirit wants than I have. But I also, I'm talking about this one time that I was asked to to speak to, with a general vicar in the diocese, and he said that a bishop wanted me to study canon law in Germany, of all places. And I was like, what? <laughs> I, you know, I like studying, and certainly I would like to study a bit more after I'm done preparing for the priesthood, but canon law series i don't care at all for canon law why why me you know and why in germany i don't like to speak in german it's, i speak a lot of languages but german has always been difficult for me because i've had um a teacher that did, just didn't make me very enthusiastic for german let's put it that way so i, I never liked that, speaking that language and and because of that dislike, I'd really never mastered it. Now you want me to go to Germany to study canon law? You're asking me to do two things. And then, uh, and then also they were talking about moving me to a parish in the eastern part of the diocese, 
which is a very different region than where I come from. I'm a, a boy from the area of Rotterdam, which is a very, very different mentality. Uh, I'm a more of a, of a city boy. And then all of a sudden they want to put me in a small rural village in the eastern part of the country, where it's almost Germany. So I, I, I said, I don't think this is, this is what I should do. And they were a bit taken aback by that. I said, no, I, I don't think I want to do this. And then they were, um, well, the, the general vicar was polite. And he said, okay, hmm, we'll think about it. But this is what we want. And then later on, I get a phone call. I remember it as if it was yesterday. I get a phone call of the, the guy who works, you could say HR, but it's not really that. Um, but he's, he was the guy who uh, um, prepared and executed all the, the appointments in the diocese. And he was furious. He said, I, I just spoke with the general vicar and I've heard that you've refused to do what he said and uh, you didn't want to do it. And uh, no, this is, this is obedience, you know. This is not how it works. We tell you to, to do that, those studies and you just do them. And I said, no, I don't think that's the way it works. I am not ordained. Reminder, I'm just a seminarian. And until I am ordained, I don't have to be obedient to this particular bishop. In fact, I could leave tomorrow and go to another diocese. There is a... And I remember saying this, and it was brash, but I was so convinced that this was not what I should do. I told him, you know, there's seven dioceses in the Netherlands. I'm sure that one of them would like to have an extra priest. And he got so furious that he hang up on me. <laughs> and, and later on, I went back to because the diocese wanted to speak with me again. And, uh, and then they said, ah, well, we, we, we noticed that um, you're resisting this idea. And maybe ask why. So I gave them my reasons. And then I asked them, why did you ever think that I would want to study canon law in Germany? And then he, he just looked at me and said, oh, you know what? I was going for a walk with the auxiliary bishop and we, we uh, our current uh, canon law guy is uh, about to retire. We need uh, someone else. And your dad is a judge, right? He, he studied law. And I remember like being so baffled. Like, so seriously, you thought that I should study canon law just because my dad studied law? Really? I mean... <laughs> My dad could have been anything. It doesn't mean that I, I want to be like my dad or that I have even the same talent or the same interests as my dad. What kind of reasoning is that? And it was such a shock to realize that this whole thing that was, a, was going to completely change my life, um, had I obeyed, had I done what they wanted, that, that was just a result of a, a well, in hindsight, in my opinion, a stupid, you know, brain fart. Sorry for the words, but like just two guys going for a walk. And then, uh, well, let's ask Roderick because he's his dad is in. Didn't he study law? Uh, you know, let's, let's pick him. Like, that's not how I want to be treated. And I, that totally lacked any form of, of, of true discernment. 
Would my life have been ruined if I had obeyed, if I had done that? It's very hard to tell. Maybe in hindsight it would have come up with a narrative that would say, well, hey, I, I failed miserably at getting my degree in canon law, but no wonder because it wasn't God's will. Or maybe I did very well in those studies and I would now be working for the tribunal and I would say, oh, well, isn't the life of a priest supposed to be uh, martyrdom and sacrifice? Well, here I am sacrificing everything that I wanted because it's not about my will. It's about what God needs and what his church needs. I would have come up probably with a narrative in that in that vein, you know, like eh, we always try to find rhyme and reason, even if it may not be actually there. So what does that ultimately mean? I, I have to say I struggle with that. I am very happy if I can say, uh, yeah, I, I think this is providence. But it doesn't mean that I have proof that it is. And maybe it is just me who wants to see providence, even if, you know, it's just coincidence. On the other hand, there's one principle in, especially in the Catholic way of thinking, where it's, if you want to summarize it, it's not either or. It's not either it's God's will or I'm just completely making this up. But Catholic thinking is always, no, it's and, and. Yes, this may actually be just bad luck, um, a coincidence, maybe even the result of some bad choices that I made. Like, for instance, if I would get ill. Um, maybe it's just because I've, I, I didn't always eat healthy or lived a healthy life. There's been a lot of stress in my earlier years as a priest. Well, maybe this is the price I got to pay. It's like people that have been smoking for most of their lives and then stop smoking at one point and then a few years later they still get lung cancer. Well, then you cannot blame uh, the universe or God for giving you lung cancer. No, it's probably just a, a price that you pay with a bit of delay for all those decades that you've been destroying your lungs or at least putting some heavy pressure on your whole system. Um, and still, even in those situations, God can play a role, and I believe that he does. Um, but it's not always as the magician who waves his wand and, you know, something nice appears, or he waves his wand and all of a sudden I'm being punished. Um, that is a simplistic, very human way of looking at the way God operates in this world. Um, if, if, if it's true that Jesus says, who sees me sees the Father, and when he asks his apostles to act in his name, just this last Sunday there was this reading in the Gospel where he said, I will give you my power. You go do what I did. You go heal the sick. You go even raise the dead. And then later on, he will give them the Holy Spirit. It's his power. But it's through the apostles. And I think that it's super important to take that seriously, because that is probably also how he continues to work in our world, where it's not either it's me, and it's just my brain that makes up these stories, or 
it is God, and then it's so obvious that it's God and supernatural and it's a miracle and everything. Most of the time, and I don't exclude that sometimes it is actually just me, and sometimes it is maybe just supernatural and a miracle and everything. Most of the time, I think it's both. It's and, and. God is working in what happens in mysterious ways that you can only sometimes discern after the fact. I once did a, a retreat in a small monastery in Belgium. I was still a seminarian back then and I was struggling with the same kind of questions as to my vocation, what did God want me to do? And I was in Belgium at the time. Did he want me to return to the Netherlands or not? I had plenty of questions. And then this monk said, it's like, imagine you're in a car and you're in the, in the mountains and you are trying to get up a mountain and you're trying to see where the road leads you but you can't because it's turning and it's, it's like a part of the most of the road is obfuscated by the sides of the mountain and by the trees and so you can't really see where you are and where you're going you just have to take every corner uh, for what it is and try to be careful and navigate and but then, he says, imagine you, you arrive at the top of this mountain and you have this vista of the mountainside where you were driving around and you can see the valley below. It's a clear day. And then all of a sudden you can trace the exact road you've taken and you see, oh, this is why I couldn't see where the road was going because, well, that was a, just a very sharp turn uh, or corner there and... And, but, but now I see clearly that this is ex- I was exactly in the ro- in the right uh, on the right road and, and and it brought me all the way here. He said you can only truly start to see the road that God put you on in hindsight or maybe in the rearview mirror sometimes sometimes it's easier to see in the rearview mirror where you come from than to see ahead of you where you are going. And what matters ultimately is not that you know everything, that you know what you have to do. This is me uh, talking, this is not the monk, but I, I often think about that, about that example that he gave. Um, it is discerning, discernment is not always figuring out whether to go left or right. Because sometimes you really don't know and you you don't get an answer and and it may or may not be revealed sometimes after years this is what i told father henry maybe it just takes time for you to discover why god placed you in that parish and maybe over in a couple of years you'll look back and you'll see oh that is why um and then is is that just a story you tell yourself no maybe that is exactly why because god is ultimately in everything that happens. There's nothing that escapes God's, God's power and view. If it would, then God wouldn't be God, right? If there was part of this universe, part of this life, that would somehow not be part of God's world, and that could not be controlled by his will, then, then God would be fallible. He would be like us, out of control. And we know that if God is God, then... Everything that takes place is somehow part of his plan. 
But what, what it means is that sometimes in difficult situations where we don't know what the future will bring, it's not about trying to second-guess God. It's not about making our own plans because you don't know what God wants. But it's about trust. It's about surrendering yourself and giving yourself there where you are to God's will. That is a, that's different from reframing. Um, I think it's on a deeper level. It doesn't preclude reframing. I think it's a very powerful tool that you can try to look differently at what happens to you. What, what I know is God does not want you to be a miserable victim of everything. Even great martyrs embrace their fate, even if fate was death. They embraced it. They saw it as a gift. And so that is a way of reframing what happens to you, even if it's bad stuff. But it's also embracing God's will. And sometimes you will have the power or the insight to escape from death and escape from from misery and God does not want us to suffer so if you fall ill God doesn't want you to just wait until you die no he wants you to go and see a doctor and if you get better then yeah you I think it's legitimate to say that is God who works through the doctors because we know that Jesus did the same so everything that we that happens to us that is similar to what Jesus would have done or wanted or the way he would help I think you can attribute that to God's will because it resembles what we see Jesus do. But there are many situations where we don't know. What would Jesus do? It's a question. And you have to ask yourself that question, but it doesn't necessarily always have an answer. And it's in those moments of doubt and not knowing and not seeing where you are in this fog and the sky is like what I see here when I look around me, it's like, oh, it's dark. I don't see any blue sky anymore. And it's, well, there's a little bit of blue sky here on my left. But the rest is just preparing for a huge thunderstorm. Maybe it's in those moments of dread and fear for the future that you have to surrender yourself and let God know that whatever happens, I trust that you are with me. And that somehow I'm walking as long as you're by my side. It's not about exactly what happens. What, hap- what happens, happens. But what matters is that I don't leave your side and you don't leave my side. And then if, if that is something you can believe and can surrender yourself to, even if you can't feel it or see it, it's an act of will also to have faith then you are on God's path. No matter if it was part of a bigger plan or if it's obvious, if, if, if you see where to go or not. What matters is I am not alone here. God is at my side and when he's at my side, that's the only thing that matters. And if my life should bear fruit and should be productive and, and fertile and may help others and may help the church, and that is something that will happen. Regardless, God will make that happen. And the only thing I can do is to do in the given situation, to do my best and to trust that I will have the words that I need to say. Sometimes the fact that I protested against that appointment to to study canon law, I feel that 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 was just a certain... I just felt it was wrong and I didn't have any 
reasons to refuse it. But I, I just pushed back and ultimately, hey, they moved along. <laughs> so is that just my will? Is it God's will? What I believe is the most important thing is that I trusted my gut and I also trusted that even if I would say no and even if they would hang up on me and be mad at me, well, ultimately something good will come out of this and it will all be okay and it will be one day that I'll laugh about it, which I'm doing right now. Anyway, that is what I wanted to share with you on this walk. Thank you so much for the privilege of your time. If this resonates with you or you have any additional questions, um, if you're a patron, you, you can always ask me or continue the conversation on our Discord server if you would like to have access to our Discord community. Then just take a look at patreon.com slash fatherroderick. Support what I do. I try to help, um, but I can't do it without your help. So if you have... Uh, what is it, 250 a month to spare? Um, I would love it if you could join the Patreon community and join uh, the mission that I'm on. All right, I'm going to shelter inside and let's hope the, the weather won't be too bad. I will let you know next week. Take care and God bless.